Good evening, good evening. Good evening. How's everybody doing? Good, I hope. It's good to see everyone. We get to finish Habakkuk tonight. Woohoo! There we go. Good. Um, let's open up with a word of prayer. Father God, we thank you so much for who you are. Thank you for your word, Lord. Thank you for the freedom to come into your house and to study your word tonight, Lord. We don't take that for granted, Father God. Thank you of the work that Pastor Dave is doing in India, Lord, and how you're using him, Lord. We just continue to thank you and give thanksgiving to that. Be with those who heard the word preached, Father, and please, Father, bring the seeds of salvation for those people, Lord, that heard and felt the conviction that they would come forth and call upon you, Lord. And Father God, we pray for traveling mercies as he comes back. Pray that all the different steps of travel go well, Lord, and we just pray for a blessed recovery with jet lag, Lord, um, that adventure always. But thank you so much for all that he was able to do, Lord, and thank you for Dan and Eva and their support there, Father God. And we just ask you to be with us tonight as we delve into your word, Lord. Use me as your vessel, Father God. Fill me with your spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. So tonight, we are going to finish the book of Habakkuk and... We started it this past Sunday, and if you miss Sunday, you can get online, listen there. I know the missus said there were some sound things when she went to listen, so I can catch you up. We can do a private tutorial on Habakkuk if you can't figure out how to hear it. Uh, but just want to do a quick brief overview before we delve into everything tonight. So on Sunday, we saw the prophet Habakkuk come before God with a simple question, why God? And we saw how Judah was falling apart, violence was growing, sin growing, God's law wasn't mattering at all. People were pursuing material and self over God. Those who follow God being isolated and put into a box as sin takes over. We saw the parallels that that shows of our world today and our time today and the current state of our world and our nation particularly. And this pointed to the beautiful timelessness that we get to see of God's word. And it reminded all of us of how vital it is for us to not just study the New Testament, but also the Old Testament as well. And God gave us his complete word. Remember, we have the complete word to be that lamp unto our feet and light unto our path. Habakkuk says, why? Because he feels as though God was silent. Everything's falling apart and he feels as though God is doing nothing. We were reminded that we sometimes ask, why? Why, God? Why is this happening? Why am I seeing this? And we could learn from Habakkuk an important lesson about going to God, to be raw and real before God. The enemy wants you to think, oh, no, don't go to God with that. Oh, you can't go to God with this. You can't go to God with your messiness. And as long as you do that, it keeps you away from God. It's fake news to think you can't go to God with the messiness. We have to go to God with all. Now, when God answered, he gave Habakkuk the how, and he heard the how, but unfortunately, it wasn't the how that he thought. It wasn't how he was expecting it to go. The Babylonians would be judging Judah. A more evil people would be judging them. It didn't make sense to Habakkuk. And we pointed to Romans 3, where we are all laid out as sinners and looking at how that might have been a useful passage if Habakkuk could have heard it to just say, hey, this might be an easier pill to remember. We're all sinners. There's, there's no, their sin is worse than mine. 
And he gives us another valuable lesson when we look in chapter 2, verse 1. I will stand my watch and set myself on the rampart and watch to see what he will say to me and what I will answer when I'm corrected. And we looked at that and the subtext there, God, I don't get it, but you're God, so I'm going to watch, I'm going to wait, and I love this, I'm going to let you correct me. How we could learn from that. He respects, he acknowledges the sovereignty of God. For those of us, for us, we have the complete word of God. Can we remember his sovereignty? And perhaps even go before him with our why, with that perspective that he's sovereign. This led to the central verse of the book and one of the central verses of our faith. The just shall live by his faith. And we saw how this passage comes up in the New Testament, three different places, and what it truly means to live by faith alone. Not in faith of our emotions, not in faith of how much money you have in the bank, not in faith of daily devotions, not in faith of what people say about you, but faith alone. Faith in God, our Heavenly Father, alone, period. Basta così is Some Italian would say, basta così, that's it, period. Tonight, we're going to delve into the rest of chapter 2 and then all of chapter 3 to close the book. And I've entitled tonight's message, Peace in Prayer. As we'll see, the peace that Habakkuk gets at the end of this book, and as mentioned Sunday, we see what happens as he goes before God with real questions, as he goes and dialogues with God. The doom and gloom we're going to see turn to glory and hope. So that's our catch-up, and now we're going to dig in. And before we dig in, I just want to pray, Lord God, thank you again for your word. Thank you for this time that we can be together, Father. And as we go through these verses now, Lord, I just ask that you, Holy Spirit, would fill me. Let the words that come out of my mouth be you. Prepare the hearts, minds, and souls of everyone here, Father God. Remove any distractions that the sole focus would be you would be your word, and would be us growing closer to you to be the people that you need us to be for your glory and yours alone. In Jesus' name, amen. So it's clear that God's using the Chaldeans and Babylonians to judge Judah. And as we saw, God is allowing, it's important to remember that God is allowing their sinful desire to take over Judah. And he reminds Habakkuk in the first part of verse 4, Behold the proud, his soul is not upright in him. He reminds Habakkuk there that he knows their pride. And their pride will result in their demise. Remember, God knows that everything they do, who do they give the glory to? Their own God, not the God of all. So as such, in verses 5 through 19, as we look at it, God's going to be painting a clear picture of what's to happen to the wicked. He gives woes that falls upon the sinful. And as we look at it, it's a reminder that God has the final voice with the wicked. Even that we see in our world today, the wickedness that we see going on, as we looked at Hebrews 12, 1 to 4, in the context of faith alone, it's useful for each of us to remember he's going to do the judging And while I wait, search my heart, Lord, so that I can, what we saw in Hebrews 12, set aside the sin which so easily besets me that I can run the race for you. 
So let's read verse four, refresh and into verse five. Behold the proud, his soul is not upright in him, but the just shall live by his faith. Indeed, because he transgressed by wine, he is a proud man, and he does not stay at home because he enlarges his desire as hell, and he is like death and cannot be satisfied. He gathers to himself all nations and heaps up for himself all peoples. Verse 5, juxtaposed with living by faith, shows the struggle of a proud man. Remember, we looked at pride on Sunday, and we have to remember as we look at that word pride, don't just go with the cliche, whatever Hollywood movie vision of pride comes to you, but remember that we looked at there's unexpected pride, the rich man proud of his riches, the simple man proud of his simplicity, the religious man proud of his religion, or as someone came up after service, the humble man proud of his humility. We have to actively search our hearts for any hint of pride and remove it. Notice a theme that's already coming. Search our hearts. Lord, search my heart. Lord, search my heart. Lord, search my heart. Why? Apart from me, you can do nothing. There's a reason Jesus tells us to abide in him. There's a reason the model of the first bondservants of Jesus Christ were with him 24-7. Because we're called to be those true disciples of Christ. Now, when we get back to verse 5, the just is satisfied in their faith. Living by faith is enough. Why? Jesus is enough. But the pride, because he enlarges his desire as hell. Nothing's enough. For the prideful person, nothing is enough. And as such, they delve into the traps that come with that pride. Verse 6 through 8, we're going to see one of those. Will not all these take up a proverb against him and a taunting riddle against him and say, Woe to him who increases what is not his. How long? And to him who loads himself with many pledges. Will not your creditors rise up suddenly? Will they not awaken who oppress you and you will become their booty? Because you have plundered many nations, all the remnant of the people shall plunder you because of men's blood and the violence of the land and the city and of all who dwell in it. The prideful, in this case Babylonian, they stole. They took advantage of others to gain what they wanted. And they plunder many nations. And there's that little bit of comfort in verse 8. All the remnant of the people shall plunder you. God may be allowing their sinful desire to overtake Judah. He's using it to overtake Judah. But God doesn't say their powerful overtake is permanent. Woe to the prideful. Woe to Judah, woe to the Babylonians. He doesn't just say, okay, well, you're going to overtake, and you get that. You get to keep that. No. Verse 9, woe to him who covets evil gain for his house, that he may set his nest on high, that he may be delivered from the power of disaster. You give shameful counsel to your house, cutting off many peoples and sin against your soul. For the stone will cry out from the wall, and the beam from the timbers will answer it. He's speaking there to how the Babylonians build their security wrongly. They believe all that they have, the material, that's going to secure their future. This is a similar mentality of the fallen people of Judah. As we saw after Josiah's reign of restoration that we looked at Sunday, he died, and what happened? They quickly went back. 
they quickly rebelled against the Lord. Woe to him who covets evil gain for his house, a.k.a. greed. It's going to get you where you think it will. That's what they think. If we get what we want, we be greedy, we're going to get more power, we're going to get there. It isn't. That's actually not how it's going to work. Greed might be protecting you in your mind, but never in reality. For what profits a man if he gains the whole world and is himself destroyed or lost? Luke 9.25. After one of my favorite verses, Luke 9.23, we can't expect to follow Christ with a heart of greed. We can't serve God and material. And he makes that clear here. Woe will come to the greedy ones. And these, again, it's all attributes that the Babylonians have, and it's also attributes that the people of Judah have. And that's why it's also something we have to search our heart for. Going on. Verse 12. Woe to him who builds a town with bloodshed, who establishes a city by iniquity. Behold, is it not of the Lord of hosts that the people labor to feed the fire and nations weary themselves in vain? For the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. This is a woe to the leader of nations and people who think that doing anything to achieve their power will secure the future. God says, no, 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 no. Woe to you. Builds a town with bloodshed. God proclaims woe against the leaders who go to even use violence to achieve power and authority that they desire. The one who rises through violence feels powerful. They feel victorious. Yet verses 13 and 14, God makes it clear, he alone is the triumphant one. He alone is the only one who has the glory. Thus, the just should live by his faith. Because look what he says, behold, is it not the Lord of hosts that the people's labor to feed the fire and nations weary themselves in vain? Bam, for the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. He's the triumphant one. He's the one who gets the victory. Verse 15, woe to him who gives drink to his neighbor pressing him to your bottle, even to make him drunk that you may look on his nakedness. You are filled with shame instead of glory. You also drink and be exposed as uncircumcised. The cup of the Lord's right hand will be turned against you and utter shame will be your glory. For the violence done to Lebanon will cover you and the plunder of beasts which made them afraid because of men's blood and the violence of the land and the city and of all who dwell in it. Not gonna go so well. The Lord comes now for the one who's drunk and the one who celebrates drunkenness. Verse 16, the cup of the Lord's right hand will be turned against you and utter shame will be your glory. You are filled, the start of that verse, with shame instead of glory. The one who goes for the bottle thinks it's gonna fulfill all. They think that this is part of the violence that happens. We have the violence. We have the victory. Hurrah, let's have some drinks. Hurrah, let's get drunk. Hurrah, we've gotten all these good things. We're greedy. And yet God says, 
you are filled with shame instead of glory. The one who struggles with alcoholism is often filled with shame the morning after. Yet, through Christ, there is a way out from that sin, from any sin. Think back to Hebrews 12, 1 through 4 that we looked at, living by faith alone. When we're truly living by faith in God, he equips us to lay aside the sin which so easily besets us. Because as we looked at Stephen, that's the full of faith and full of the Spirit last Wednesday. The drunk loves to fill the cup. And God has a little play on words there when he says, the cup of the Lord's right hand will be turned against you. The cup that God serves is judgment. Oh, that they would repent, but that's that cup. Then we get the final woe. What profit is the image that its maker should carve it? The molded image, a teacher of lies, that the maker of its mold should trust in it to make mute idols. Woe to him who says to wood, awake, and to silent stones, arise, it shall teach. Behold, it is overlaid with gold and silver, yet in it there is no breath at all. The molded image. God asks, what, what worth does that have? Now he's shining a light on idolatry. The people who in verse 19 go to objects that they make and interact with this object that they've made as though that's going to work. It'd be like me talking to this bottle, expecting something to happen. Here we go, bottle, I'm praying to you. What? But that's what they're doing. And in many, woes, in many ways, that last woe, idolatry, is a hint to all of what we looked at, these different woes. Because the sin that besets us comes before God. Anything that we put before God is an idol. These sins were with the people of Judah again and the Babylonians. But what about you? What do you put before God? Which of these struck you? Is there pride that you need to deal with? Is there greed that you need to deal with? Is there violence or anger that you need to deal with? Is there drunkenness that you need to deal with? Pray and seek him to know your sin. He wants to refine us. He wants that these woes aren't where we're living. Pray to seek him that you would know. Because these idols, as we see in verse 19, have no breath. But then verse 20 but the Lord is in his holy temple. Let all the earth keep silence before him. The Lord is in his temple. The Lord is the one who has all the breath, all the power, all the glory. And may we keep silent before him as Habakkuk models when he says, okay, I don't get it. I'm gonna watch. You're God. I'm trusting. I'm gonna let you correct me. There's a humility in that. There's a silence in that that we need to adopt relish in the correction of the Lord because it makes us stronger. It makes us more like him. It refines us. When God brings you to your knees in repentance, it's a reminder of who he is and who we are. That's one of the verses we talked about and memorized in youth group, John 3, 30. He must what? Increase, I must decrease. Now on to chapter three. 
which is where we get this peace in prayer. We get Habakkuk's final words to God in this interaction. He first went with the deep, why, why? He got the how, wasn't too crazy about the how, but he stayed to hear what God has to say because he knows he's sovereign. When he didn't get the how that he wanted, he didn't run away. He didn't avoid church. He didn't decide to just stay in a corner and be like, I'm angry. No. He stood. He waited. He watched. And he accepted all God had to say. When you don't get the how that you want, does pride stand in your way? Do you embrace his sovereignty? This is something we have to ask ourselves. And I want us to look at this chapter. Look at how he responds as a model. So verse 1, a prayer of Habakkuk, the prophet of Shinigenoth. And Art can help me with that pronunciation later. <laughs> we get a prayer. Now this prayer, as we see in the end, is a song. We get a psalm from Habakkuk. And that word Shiganoth uh, doesn't have an exact meaning. Yet we do see it in Psalm 7 as a meditation. Different theologian, theologians some say that it refers to liturgical use. Others say that it's a lament, meaning that it would be sung loudly or perhaps a specific instrument or a specific tone that would be used. But what we ultimately do know is that this is a moment again where Habakkuk pours out his heart to God. O oh Lord, I have heard your speech and was afraid. O oh Lord, revive your work in the midst of the years. In the midst of the years, make it known. In wrath, remember mercy. Habakkuk states that he hears all God has to say. He hears about the Babylonians coming to judge. He acknowledges that all he has heard has caused him fear. Again, he's being real. He's being raw. But look at how he handles the fear. He doesn't stay in the emotion and let the feeling and the emotion take over. Instead, he says, Oh Lord, revive your work. He prays unto God, keep doing what you're doing. Do your work, God. Do your work in me. Do your work in your people. Do your work. Revive the work you do, God, amongst your people. He doesn't say stop. He doesn't, again, dwell in, well, this is how I feel and now I'm going to stay here for five years in my feelings. No. He says, God, be God. It's a personal plea and beyond. And he prays for mercy within the wrath. God, I came to you. You heard me. I don't get it. I'm going to sit, wait, and watch. Do your work, God. Be your God. Be God for me. Be God for others. Remember mercy, mercy within this wrath. Habakkuk knew that the people of Judah also deserved God's judgment, but he prays for mercy. That's a prayer when we don't get the how. In the midst of darkness, in the midst of darkness even in our times right now, where do you need God to revive you? Where does the church need God to revive? In prayer for God to what he is doing and to do what he does, a prayer for revival is born. Then we see how he prays and sings unto God in verse 3. God came from Taman, the Holy One from Mount Paran, Selah. In this next moment, Habakkuk recalls 
God coming from the wilderness region of Taman, Mount Paran area, to deliver Israel from Egyptian slavery. And Selah, that word there, it's a beat. It's a musical pause. It's a call to stop, to think. Then God's glory is revealed. His glory covered the heavens, and the earth was full of his praise. His brightness was like the light he had raised flashing from his hand, and there his power was hidden. Before him went pestilence, and fever followed at his feet. His glory covered the heavens, earth full of his praise. His brightness was like the light, rays flashing from his hand, and there his power was hidden. He glorifies God's power and majesty. We need to do that. We need to give God praise. We shouldn't just give God worship, honor, glory, praise on Sunday morning and occasionally at other times. We should look to the glory of his coming all the time every moment of our lives. God is due that honor. When we do that honor, when we glorify him, it reminds us of things. It reminds us of his goodness. It reminds us of all he's done. It reminds us of who we are and who he is and why we need him. It reminds us who made us. It reminds us why we're here. Worship and praise unto God is a weapon against the lies of the enemy. So we're going to now look at this next section, verses 4 through 19. I want to just go through this whole section and just let his word speak, and then we're going to look at it. So verse 4. His brightness was like the light. He had rays flashing from his hand, and there his power was hidden. Before him went pestilence, and fever followed at his feet. He stood and measured the earth. He looked and startled the nations, and the everlasting mountains were scattered. The perpetual hills bowed. His ways are everlasting. I saw the tents of Kushan in affliction. The curtains of the land of Midian trembled. O oh Lord, were you displeased with the rivers? Was your anger against the rivers? Was your wrath against the sea that you rode on your horses, your chariots of salvation? You bow. Your bow was made quite ready. Oaths were sworn over your arrows. Selah. You divided the earth with rivers. The mountains saw you and trembled. The overflowing of the water passed by. The deep uttered its voice and lifted its hands on high. The sun and the moon stood still in their habitation. At the light of your arrows, they went at the shining of your glittering spear. You marched through the land in indignation. You trampled the nations in anger. You went forth for the salvation of your people. For salvation with your anointed, you struck the head from the house of the wicked by laying bare from foundation to neck. Selah. You thrust through with his own arrows, the head of his villages. They came out like a whirlwind to scatter me. Their rejoicing was like feasting. On the poor in secret, you walked through the sea with your horses, through the heap of great waters. When I heard, my body trembled, my lips quivered at the voice. Rottenness entered my bones, and I trembled in myself that I might rest in the day of trouble. When he comes up to the people, he will invade them with his troops." Though the fig tree may not blossom, nor fruit be on the vines, though the labor of the olive may fail and the fields yield no food, though the flock may be cut off from the fold and there be no herd in the stalls, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will joy in the God of my salvation. The Lord God is my strength. He will make my feet like deer's feet. He will make me walk on my high hills. To the chief musician with stringed instruments. 
Habakkuk recalls the deliverance God brought. He recalls the deliverance that God did from Egyptian slavery. And he has a clear vision and prayer and praise of all God has done and will do. In verse 5 there, he, he looks at the plagues and how it will eventually lead to deliverance. In verse 7, we're reminded of the Arab tribes living near Edom, seeing the power of God and being moved with fear. The references to the rivers, we see that. We saw it in Exodus 7, 20 to 25, as they turned to blood. The sea we saw in Exodus 14, 13 to 31, in the splitting of the Red Sea and overtaking of the Egyptians. We see the sun and the moon stand still in Joshua 10, 12 to 13, at Joshua's victory over Gibeon. God goes forth in verse 13 as the God of salvation and deliverance. And in 16, Habakkuk's quite physically rattled after seeing all and recalling all and knowing God's sovereign and in control and as all the verses before so clearly point to. And he sees how he's truly weak and God is truly strong, how God has all the power. He knows that the troops of the Babylonians shall come and that it's all under God's sovereignty. It's all under God's reign. And that's where we get verses 17 and 18, because though it's dark, though trials await, though the land's going to be desolate and destroyed after the Babylonians overtake it, Habakkuk's reminded of who God is. And because of who God is, he's going to rejoice. Yet, I will rejoice in the Lord. Listen to that. The fig tree may not blossom. No fruit on the vines. Labor of oil may fail. Fields, no food. The flock cut off from the toilet. It doesn't sound great. Yet, I will rejoice in the Lord. I will joy in the God of my salvation. No matter how hard it gets, Habakkuk will look to the Lord and rejoice. No matter how hard it gets. And the Hebrew word for rejoice there means to jump up and down for joy. And the joy there means to spin around. That's what he's going to do in the midst of all of that. How? How? Verse 19. The Lord God is my strength. And God can make deers balance on the way they're designed. They can go up on steep hills and they can balance. They, they're the mountain climber we all wish we were. God can make him stand in balance anywhere. Why? God is God. So the doom and gloom at the start of this book is now glory and hope. What about you? What else can we glean from this prayer? Now on Sunday, I talked a little bit about how the preparation for this, when pastor had asked me to cover the pulpit and I'm praying through and seeking the Holy Spirit, what do you want me to teach? And Habakkuk comes up and I'm like, Lord, I don't really, what? Why Habakkuk, huh? And then as I started preparing, as I started going into this, I'm like, oh, it's another lesson for me about how important the Old Testament is. Got it. And then seeing, oh, it's also really relevant. Because we see how the state of Judah and straying from God's law is similar to everything we see today. We also see themes of waiting. Our culture right now is a bit doom and gloom as we look around with everything that's happening, and yet we have a hope and glory, the same way Habakkuk did. 
The just shall live by faith alone. Hebrews 10.38 was one of the spots that was quoted on Sunday. And we're going to look at verse 37 and 38 for yet a little while. And he who is coming will come and will not tarry. Now the just live by faith, but if anyone draws back my soul, has no pleasure in him. The coming of our king, when it's used in Hebrews, the just shall live by faith, is what that's pointing to. Now, when we look at this prayer in chapter 3, Habakkuk's able to look back on everything God has done. And if we notice, there's these three selahs that happen. And that first one happens at an interesting place. Come, God came from Taman, the Holy One from Mount Paran. Selah. His glory covered the heavens, and the earth was full of his praise. We've got something else in this vision. It's a nod to the second coming of our king. In Habakkuk, God is recalled coming from Taman, which is a district of Edom. And that's important in Bible prophecy. Turn with me to Isaiah 63. is this, verse 1, who comes from Edom with dyed garments from Bozrah, this one who is glorious in his apparel, traveling in the greatness of his strength, I who speak in righteousness, mighty to save. Why is your apparel red and your garments like one who treads in the winepress? I have trodden the winepress alone, and from the peoples no one was with me, for I have trodden them in my anger and trampled them in my fury. Their blood is sprinkled upon my garments, and I have stained all my robes. For the day of vengeance is in my heart, and the year of my redeemed has come. I looked, but there was none to help, and I wondered that there was no one to uphold. Therefore my own arm brought salvation for me, and my own fury, it sustained me. I have trodden down the peoples in my anger, made them drunk in my fury, and brought down their strength to the earth. Jesus' second coming after the tribulation foretold from the same region mentioned in chapter 3, Taman. And if we now look at what we are in, we have a hope to look forward to. We have the rapture, which is so exciting, and we have his second coming after the great tribulation. And when we look at verse 3, this prophecy, I want us to just see where in Isaiah 63, verse 3, I want us to see the fulfillment. Because verse 3, I've trodden the winepress alone, and from the peoples no one was with me, for I've trodden them in my anger, trampled them in my fury. Their blood is sprinkled upon my garments, and I have stained all my robes. Then we turn to Revelation 19, 13. He was clothed with a robe, dipped in blood, and his name is called the Word of God. Verse 15. Now out of his mouth goes a sharp sword, that with it he should strike the nations, and he himself will rule them with a rod of iron. He himself treads the winepress of fierceness and wrath of Almighty God. I want to show that, to look to God's promises. Because we've got to look at the book of Habakkuk in the world sense that we got to remember we actually have the whole council. We've got the full word. And when we look at his prayer 
For us, as we think about our doom and gloom, we have to think about the hope that we have, the hope that we are able to look at as believers in Jesus Christ. And when we see that, and we see verses 3 and 4, now back in Habakkuk chapter 3, his glory covered the heavens, the earth was full of his praise, his brightness was like the light, he had rays flashing from his hand, and there was power, there his power was hidden. God's awesomeness, God's powerfulness can't be missed and is worthy to be praised. And in verse 6, we see that judgment that's going to come through Judah to the Babylonians parallels that judgment that is to come through our Savior, for his ways are everlasting. For us, security in the fact that when the rapture occurs, we go to the king, and then after the great tribulation occurs, the church, his bride, comes forth, for his ways are everlasting. And we see, O Lord, were you displeased with the rivers? Was your anger against the rivers? Was your wrath against the sea that you rode on your horses, your chariots of salvation? This area, judgment, judgment that comes. Your bow was made quite ready. Oaths were sworn over your arrows. Your, the tribes there. Literally, that's what that word means. You divided the earth with rivers. Verse 10, the mountains saw you and trembled. The overflowing of the water passed by. The deep uttered its voice and lifted its hands on high. The sun and the moon stood still in their habitation. At the light of your arrows, they went at the shining of your glittering spear. You marched through the land in indignation. You trampled the nations in anger. If we think of the, the great tribulation, think of all that is to come. Praise God that we have the rapture. Can we say amen to that? But when we think of that, there's parallels here. And then you went forth for the salvation of your people, for salvation with your anointed, your anointed's Jesus. You struck the head from the house of the wicked by laying bare from the foundation to neck. And the your people there, it's important to remember, that's God's people of Israel. It's another reminder and instance of why the church has to be concerned to the state and people of Israel. They're God's people. They're God's chosen people, and he's going to fulfill his promises to them. We can see several parallels in these verses if you go through and look at the book of Revelation. And that's the beauty we get of living in the time that we do. We have the full counsel. Habakkuk knew that Judah would be judged by the hands of the Babylonians overtaking them, but he also had comfort in God's words on the pride and the woes that would fall, but also prayed for that mercy. In the face of suffering to come, Habakkuk's led to look back at everything God has done and recall how he preserved his people. And what does that mean for us with the full counsel of God's word? We need to look back. In verse 16, when he goes through all of this of chapter 3, we see, when I heard, my body trembled, my lips quivered at the voice, rottenness entered my bones, and I trembled in myself. It's similar if you look at Daniel 7.28 or Daniel 8.27. Read those two verses and you'll see, whoa, it's similar to when Daniel got the end time prophecies, when he's able to see everything. And I think for us, when we look, when we read the whole book of Revelation, it's like, whoa, God. You are God. How do you respond when you look back at all that God has done 
in light of everything that lies ahead. May it knock us physically to reverent awe of the God we serve. May it. He was able, Habakkuk, also to walk in God's sovereignty, even though he couldn't understand it all. And in verse 16 there, he pleads that I might rest in the day of trouble. We get the rest. Habakkuk didn't have what we have. As believers in the Lord Jesus Christ, we have rest in the day of trouble. We have rest in the immediate day to day because God's in control. We have rest in being filled, as we saw last week with Stephen, full of faith and filled with the Holy Spirit. We have rest in being full of faith. We have rest in trusting God. We have rest in the rapture to come that we don't have to see the days of the great tribulation. It's going to get worse. Newsflash, being real, it's going to get worse. We are going to see things. We know that. But read Revelation and look at the great tribulation. We miss something good. We have a hope that no one else has. So there's inflation, there's pending food shortages, the government control, everything going on in our culture. Verse 17, though the fig tree may not blossom, nor fruit be on the vines, though the labor of the oil, olive may fail, and the field yields no food, though the flock may be cut off from the fold, and there no, be no herd in the stalls. Dark times. And there's going to be further times ahead. And it's going to be worse. Yet, verse 18, I will rejoice in the Lord. I will joy in the God of my salvation. Saints, we get to do that. We get to rejoice. We get to joy in the Lord. Why? The Lord God is my strength. Verse 19. When you have your why God, do you pray and get the peace in who God is? Pray as Habakkuk did. Pray honestly. Pray knowing who he is. Pray asking for revival in your heart. Pray seeking mercy. Pray remembering all he has done. Habakkuk recalled all of that happened for the Israelites from the hands of Egypt. Recall when God brought you out of your own exodus of bondage and sin. Pray knowing that he's a just judge. Pray looking ahead to the rapture and promises of what is to come. Pray looking to the hope of Christ's second coming after the great tribulation with us, his bride. Pray looking to the hope of eternity with the king. Do you get that? We have eternity with our maker. We get eternity with the God of in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. For behold... I create new heavens and a new earth, and the former shall not be remembered or come to mind, but be glad and rejoice forever in what I create. For behold, I create a Jerusalem as a rejoicing, and here a people a joy. Isaiah 65, 17 to 18. The fulfillment, Revelation 21, 1. Now I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. Also, there was no more sea. The future to come, our eternal state. It's done. 
I am the Alpha and the Omega and the beginning and the end. I will give of the fountain of the water of life freely to him who thirsts. He who overcomes shall inherit all things, and I will be his God, and he shall be my son. But cowardly, unbelieving, abominable, murder, sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars shall have their part in the lake which burns with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. Revelation 21, 6 to 8. It might look all doom and gloom. You can go through the news and scroll doom and gloom, doom and gloom, doom and gloom, doom and gloom. Horrible things are happening. Yet we have a hope and glory when we recall the eternal perspective. When we keep eternity in mind, we also wait. And may we wait, as Habakkuk says in 2 1, ready for that correction. Lord, correct me, refine me, that I can be who you need. And you can do that because the Lord, God, is my strength. And that then turns to the strength to live the Great Commission, to share truth. Pastors in India right now, and I think of verse 19, the Lord God is my strength. He will make my feet like deer's feet. He will make me walk on my high hills. For him to do what he's doing there, there's a relying on Lord. There's the relying on the prayer of the church. There's a relying on the strength. What about you? Do you wait and trust in God during these times? Are you waiting expectantly with joy? Are you seeking his strength to do his will? Two last things. If you don't know Jesus, what we hear in Revelation, I pray you know him. And I pray you say, be my savior in the lake which burns with fire and brimstone. The church is afraid to talk about hell. I don't know why. I'm just reading scripture. It's a fact. It's a reality. The promises of what I just talked about, the promises of all the good to come, you don't get that. And for those of you who do live for Christ, for those of you who he is, the Lord of your life. I hope you see how you can take a why God and turn it into peace and prayer. For the believer of God, when we look at the world, be not afraid. Praise him. Worship him. Prayerfully look back and expectedly look forward. As he fills you with his peace, ask for his strength to be his hands and feet. Why? His return's imminent. Revelation gives us a clear spell out of how the second coming, we, we, there's a great map in Revelation where you can study and be okay. Tribulation starts, check mark, check mark, check mark. For the rapture, we don't really get that check mark that we can't, there's lots of people say, it's happening on this date, get ready. We don't get that. His return's imminent and we're called to live with an expectancy of his return so that we fulfill his will in our lives until the last moment. So what do we need to do? Look at those woes. Rid the sinful woes in your life. Don't say, oh, I'm good. I don't have to look at that list. Knock it off. Look at the list. Everyone has sin in their lives. I have sin in my life. We have to look at it. We have to go before God, and we have to ask him to refine us. His return is imminent. Run the race with endurance for the God of who creation, who made you, and has us alive here and now in this time. Spread his word. Live for him. 
Habakkuk's a book that helps us learn how to deal with the tough questions, how to look at a hard reality, but how to have an anchor in the promises and hope that's to come. And we get that anchor, we get that promise, we get that hope, we get that joy, because we know how it's going to go. Look to the hope, and as you look, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant and coming in the likeness of men. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. Let that mind be in you. Let that humility be in you. Let that heart of sacrificial service that the Savior had for us be in you and eagerly await his return and abide in him while we wait. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word. Father, we thank you for the promise of your return. Lord, we thank you for the fact that you give us in this time with such clarity to know how everything will go, Lord God. Father, as we looked through Habakkuk, Lord, as we saw the ways that judgment came to Judah, Lord, we look to the world right now, Father God, And we know that you are sovereign. We know that you're in control, Lord. And we just pray that the church would be your hands and feet. Lord, we pray that those called to preach would stick to the full counsel of your word, not adding, not taking away, Lord. We pray for salvation. We pray for people to come to know you, Lord. And we pray that we be found being living sacrifices and a pleasing aroma unto you until you take us and snatch us out of here, Lord. Lord, we pray that each and every single day as we rise, we look to your return. As we go through the day in and day out, that we look with an eternal perspective, Lord. We don't get caught in the mundane, Lord. And I pray that each and every single one of us goes before you to search our hearts for the sin that we need to put aside to serve you, Lord. For through the nations, you show what happens with sin, Lord. And may we look at ourselves, Lord, too, allow you to refine, to allow you to mold us to who you need us to be, Father God. Lord, we don't know when you are coming, but Lord, help us to be ready. We don't know the hour. Help us to be sober-minded. And Lord, help us to look to be like you, to be as our king. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 Have a good rest of the week, everyone.